Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ, and to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians confer with the Book of Concord to conform what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran Confession of the Faith. On today's show, we are continuing our series on the Augsburg Confession, today covering Article 18 on free will. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of Bethlehem Evangelical Lutheran Congregation in Mason City, Iowa, and my companion confessor in conversation about this article today is Pastor Matt Worm. He is senior pastor of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Brookings, South Dakota. Pastor Worm, welcome to Concord Matters. Good to be here, Sean. Happy to share some information in a beloved history of our Lutheran identity of what we believe, teach, and confess, and why it matters. Absolutely. And our topic today will be on free will. And to get us started with that, I'm just going to go ahead and read the article in its entirety. A little bit longer one, maybe the longest one that we've had yet in the Augsburg Confession. So just to prepare our listeners for that, but as is our typical setup for this series, we'll just read the article. It's in entirety and then throw it to you to get some of that teaching on our Lutheran Confession on this here. So a reminder on this show, we read from Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord, available to you from Concordia Publishing House, the publishing arm of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod. And this is Article 18 from the Augsburg Confession on Free Will. Our churches teach that a person's will has some freedom to choose civil righteousness and to do things subject to reason. It has no power without the Holy Spirit to work the righteousness of God, that is, spiritual righteousness. For the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. And that's a quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. This righteousness is worked in the heart when the Holy Spirit is received through the Word, citing Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. This is what Augustine says in his Hypognosticon, book 3. We grant that all people have a free will. It is free as far as it has the judgment of reason. This does not mean that it is able without God either to begin, or at least to complete, anything that has to do with God. It is free only in works of this life, whether good or evil. Good, I call those works that spring from the good in nature, such as willing to labor in the field, to eat and drink, to have a friend, to clothe oneself, to build a house, to marry a wife, to raise cattle, to learn various useful arts, or whatsoever good applies to this life. For all of these things depend on the providence of God. They are from him and exist through him. Works that are willing to worship an idol, to commit murder, and so forth, I call evil. And thus far was Augustine. Continue with the Confession, Article 18. Our churches condemn the Pelagians and others who teach that without the Holy Spirit, by natural power alone, we are able to love God above all things and do God's commandments according to the letter. Although nature is able in a certain way to do the outward work, for it is able to keep the hands from theft and murder, yet it cannot produce the inward motions, such as the fear of God, trust in God, 
chastity, patience, and so on. All right, and that is Article 18 from the Augsburg Confession on Free Will. Now, Pastor Worm, of course, most of our listeners probably know Martin Luther has his great work related to this article. They're called The Bondage of the Will, but obviously related issue here. But what are the confessors seeking to put forward here, and why do they include this here in the Augsburg Confession? Uh, so the papists and then some of the other heresies that were either before or afterwards want to meddle in the justification of man before God by adding to it man's choice here. It would be man's own action of the will. Uh, so it's man doing the action of choosing to believe, of contributing some portion to saving faith, to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it's kind of akin to, you know, an indulgence where you, you pay money and you contribute to the coffers of St. Peter's Basilica so that a greater Basilica church can be made for the Pope down there in Rome. So, yeah, this does rub the Germans wrong in that sort of extent, but really it, it really gets them going on terms of just a sureness of faith that, uh, that the devil, he's his liar deceiver from the beginning. He's really good at telling half truths and mixing God's word with his deceit so that we might fall into misbelief, despair, and other great shame advice. And so Luther's bondage of the will and his wrestling with Erasmus, um, I think it started in 1523. Uh, you know, he laid it out pretty clearly there in lots and lots and lots of pages in a very good defense against Erasmus and contributing to salvation by saying very clearly from scripture that, uh, no, we are spiritually blind, dead and enemies of God. We're like, when I teach this in confirmation class, because you have to be earthy, you're Lutheran, right? You're gotta be, have your language powerful and, uh, um, earthy. Yeah. And so I, I talk about, um, we're the roadkill on the side of the road. We're the skunk that's been run over. We stink because of our sin. Uh, and it's been a hot summer day or we've been there for a few days and we rot and there's maggots all about us. And so that's our spiritual condition apart from the act of God upon us. We are enemies of him, totally repulsive in every view and form and fashion. We've been distorted from the original creation that God intended us for because of the fall into sin. And so to him, we're as repulsive as, you know, a dead skunk that's been run over and definitely dead. And, um, you know, that dead skunk, no matter what it does, cannot will itself to come back alive again, cannot, you know, waddle on off the road and do its things. It has to, um, you know, it has to be removed, <laughs> has to be acted upon in, in some form or fashion. Uh, now we're not skunks, obviously that have been run over, but in our spiritually blind, dead and enemies of God condition, we need to be acted upon by this force outside of ourselves and is the Holy Spirit. So it's a very good article, especially as expounded upon in the formula, in the epitome, and then the solid declaration as it goes into greater, greater detail. And what's so comforting and a really great blessing of our confessions is you get deeper and deeper into them, you get deeper and deeper into scripture. And so if there's ever like this accusation, and hopefully it doesn't come across in our preaching and teaching of scripture, that we're, you know, Lutherans before we're, we're Christians or the book of Concord stands above Holy Scripture. No, it's a clear exposition of God's word. But the deeper you get into the book of Concord, the more you, that the clarity of scripture comes to life. And the more that faith becomes grounded, I would thank God for, and the heart is set at ease. So that's what I just personally experienced reviewing this article again and getting ready for this presentation and study. Yeah, I absolutely agree there. And you know, this is one of the reasons that I set up this series to run 
as we are right now. Previously, we read through the entire book of Concord and just kind of did an audio commentary as we went, getting a lot more into the history than we have in this series and, you know, just kind of pulling apart the words and things like that. But really what I wanted to do this time when we went through the Augsburg Confession was essentially do a Bible study and just let the Augsburg Confession set up our topic and get us into Scripture, get us into how we talk about this as Lutheran Christians, because that's what Scripture teaches. And so I'm really glad that you brought that out. And just a reminder that that's the way that we're approaching it this time. There's a lot that can be covered, and we've covered it before, and we'll cover it again. Uh, But as we get into it this time, then, go ahead and get us into some of that Bible study. How does Scripture talk about this? You know, it's a very powerful image, you know, dead skunks on the side of the road there. Uh, You know, how, how do we get that understanding from Scripture that we're confessing here? Sure, I'd be happy to. So the the verse that comes up more often than any other verse in the different places that free will is referenced in our Lutheran confessions is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And here it is from the ESV translation. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So this verse comes up to put forth the foundation, the fact that we are spiritually blind, dead, and enemies of God. That we actually are not just like indifferent to God, uh, just kind of out there for a stroll walking down the street and not paying attention, not caring about anything else around us, but actually we're out walking on the street, uh, you know, flipping him off, yelling and screaming at him, cursing his name, doing all of the, every sin against all the Ten Commandments actively against him. But the good news is that he wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, that he desires not the death of a sinner, but that he might repent and, and, and return, and it's Ezekiel. And so the Lord then is out there looking for us, um, but he's not like, you know, using the analogy of a dead skunk on the road, he's not the county crew out there with uh, the dump truck and the shovels picking up you know, the, the roadkill after, uh, uh, you know, after a, a week or something like that. But he is out there sending his servants through the preaching of the word, seeking after us. And as a shepherd seeks after his lost sheep, so he sends out his under shepherds. Um, he delivers and has, has poured out his Holy Spirit upon us. And so we have this calling, this movement, this breath of God that happens and comes to us by means of his word by the assurance of a sacrament and water and word and holy baptism over our heads, and the Lord's Supper, confession, absolution, to assure us that we are his, that we are not lost and condemned creatures for all eternity, but he has brought us back into his bosom, brought us back as his dear children. Uh, so when I teach on this in class, there's always this uh, sort of uh, weird understanding and weird look I get from people when I say, uh, I ask the question, uh, do you guys have choice? Do you have free will? And they're like, well, yeah, I got free will. Of course we got free will. We can choose whatever we want when we go to McDonald's, uh, you know, you order it, have it your way if it's Burger King, right? And yeah, to God, sure. Yeah, we can, we can choose to believe in God or not choose to believe in him. Like, nope, nope. Uh, sorry, we got to back the truck up here a little bit that uh, our sinful state is so great, so far afield from from God's holiness that we can't. And in fact, we probably don't want to, in the end, end up relying on any part of our action, our will, our desire, even our desire to participate, but that all of it is God's action upon us. And then in so doing, 
he brings us into his son, Jesus Christ, who is life, who is light and in his son and by the power of his word, we then do have life. But there's this sort of distinction that everybody thinks, well, you're American, you have a choice to do everything. And if you take your choices away, well, you're a really bad person. I kind of saw it last couple of years in COVID when a lot of choices were taken away from us as Americans. And, uh, we all got really, uh, creatively offensive and defensive in many sinful ways. Uh, but God, he sets us in this state so that he might have mercy on us. He might have mercy on us all. Uh, the other part when I pose this in Bible class and teach it to people is, is that like, well, free will. Okay. Will, what is the will of God? What is the will of God for me in my life? And then they sort of get off on this rabbit trail and don't let me get down it too far today. Trying to discern what God's will is for you in his life. Like, well, should I take this job or that job? Should I marry this spouse or that spouse? I don't know how to respond to this person or that person I'm in conflict in my life with. And I have to discern the will of God. And I am going to look in an external means to like, God's going to come upon you in a great way to tell you, do this, don't do that. But the fact of the matter is you have great, you know, as this article says, we're in a natural things. We have many ways that we, uh, how's it phrased? Well, it can be done by nature. The Augustine quote, uh, whether to work in the field or not, whether to eat or drink, whether to visit friend or not to dress or undress, build a whole marrying grade and so forth. All these are useful. You got the choice to do, you got the free will to do anything in that. Now, some might be better or worse. Yeah, don't maybe choose the evil ones, but when it comes to choosing to believe in God, it's all God's action and not ours. But this verse about first Corinthians chapter two, verse 14, he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. And there's a whole nother segment and radio show that could be done on, on spiritual discernment. That's not for us today, but you are not going to receive spiritual discernment apart from the word. You're not going to receive faith apart from the word and its promises, i.e. the sacraments. You're not going to find God apart from his word. And so all of this flows from his breath, the spirit of God, which he poured out his Holy spirit, whom Jesus promised, who's going to deliver to us all things and guide us into all truth and comfort us along the way. And comfort is what we get here in these, in this article, the article on free will. Um, I think I'll take us in, Sean, unless you got a little insights here to bring alongside me. Yeah, I, I did want to reflect back there. You set up there that first Corinthians two passage. You said that this is a statement of fact, and you talked about it in terms of, you know, this is post the fall into sin essentially. Right. And I want to bring in here that that's going to be taken up specifically in the very next article on the cause of sin. And so this is going to be related to those issues, right? And so for today, we'll just leave it as, yeah, this is a statement of fact, and we'll wrestle with how that is a statement of fact based on that relation to the next article in the cause of sin. And then I also want to reflect on what you were talking about there, that I like how the confessors bring this out that, you know, we have some freedom to choose like civil righteousness and so forth. And I think it's important to highlight there, you know, this is why those who aren't Christian, those who don't acknowledge God even can do reasonably good things in the world. You know, they can choose to obey the law. You know, they can choose to drive within the white and yellow lines on the road and not just hurt all sorts of pedestrians on the side of the road or things like that, you know, yeah, they obey the law and they choose to obey the law. And, and there's that reasonable freedom within that. And we all have that in terms of that civil righteousness. 
And then also there too, you know, how we decide things in our daily life and so forth. Yeah, we have that freedom there. And what's especially accented here and what we continue to talk about, especially as that First Corinthians 2 passage brings in there, is that it's in terms of the spiritual righteousness. It's our relationship to God. And that can only be enlivened by God himself, who is raised from the dead and raises us from the dead. Uh, he more than scoops us up off the side of the road <laughs> like skunks. He actually resurrects us and makes us into something much better than skunks. Uh, although maybe pre-fall, they weren't so bad. I don't know, but we'll, we'll get into that later. But uh, yeah, so I just wanted to kind of reaffirm and bring that in there too, that I think it's important to say that, you know, in terms of even those who reject any notion of God, yeah, they have this freedom of the will in the sense too, to obey that civil righteousness. Sure. And the civil or civic righteousness, of course, that is good. And everyone should be spurred on towards that. But it doesn't merit our salvation before God. Uh, I got a beloved saint here at my congregation, and she helps with teaching the youth and uh, a really great evangelist and witness for the clarity of, of Christ. And she likes to talk to her neighbors about Jesus all the time. And, you know, quite a few of them are uh, sort of confused on how salvation works. And their assurance of salvation is in their giving of their heart or their accepting of Jesus. And, you know, her response is, well, you know, if your salvation is based upon any last little bit of your doing, of your work, your merit, your accomplishment, well, then salvation is not in Christ. It's in you because it's all dependent upon you. Christ has already done his part. Now you just got to come on. You got to come alongside him. You got to do your thing. You got to build it up from within your heart, whatever it might be. Pull yourself up from your bootstraps. Come on now and get with the program, right? But then all assurances is taken away like the rug pulled out for the chair pulled out from underneath you and and you're hurt and so i think for luther in his argument with erasmus in the locatedness the assurance of salvation where does it come from does it come in the church does it come in the popes does it come in these councils does it come in these pieces of paper called indulgences where does it really rest where does it lie and we rest then upon well the foundation of the scriptures and then the Augsburg Confession is built up and confessed, if you will. You got Article 4, Justification by Grace Through Faith Alone. And then all these other articles kind of build the house, if you will, of the Lutheran Church and our confessions as, as it goes on. Uh, Scott Murray, I remember him saying one time that Luther's answer to the bondage of the will is Christ. For Christ is the one who acts. Christ is the one who does. Christ is the one who rescues. Christ is the one who saves. And of course, he does it by means by the means of his word, by the means of his blood outpoured, by the means of his Holy Spirit, by the means of his promise to Holy Spirit and Holy Baptism, uh, by the means of the church sending out the apostles to continually preach the word. But the answer is in Christ and in, in Christ alone and in him we, he's our rock. Um, I think I'll take us in to the formula of Concord. Some interesting little bits about the, the reader's edition of the book of Concord. They have a really splendid introduction to the formula of Concord, both solid declaration and epitome. And so it goes into neat detail on all of that. And they have even these neat little woodcuts of John Frederick Magnanimous. What a name. John Frederick Magnanimous, great confessor of the faith. In the small Caldic Wars, he was injured. Um, this is when Holy Emperor Charles V, who had been shown up in 1530 by the electors of Saxony there who said, uh, we're going to confess the faith, the Augsburg Confession. And then on June 25th, 1530, the Lutheran Church was born as Augsburg Confession was read and they weren't killed. 
But anyway, uh, 20 some years later, Holy Roman Emperor Charles V is still reigning. And then so he comes back to the, the northern land of Saxony there, the Germans, these rascals, and he seeks to silence them and shut them up. And so he attempts to do this well, through physical force, through the sword, but also politically and ecclesiologically through the Augsburg interim, which is like a, a compromise. And uh, John Frederick Magnanimous would not compromise. He had others who did compromise, like Philip Melanchthon, who was even showing signs of kind of compromising the stance of Luther and a very clear confession of the Holy Gospel, or the Holy Scriptures, standing as our sole rule and, and norm for all things. But Charles the, the fifth, he grew up and he made some more moves. And then after that, uh, there is this other uh, Leipzig interim, which was once again a, another compromise. This great drama, as it seems, with the Duke Maurice of Saxony, who was on Charles V's side for a little while, but then he turned against Charles V as the people were turning against him. And so he, he drove Charles V and his armies out. So then they had some peace at Augsburg because of him. And then it goes into the development of how the formula came to be and, and a fair bit about the second Martin, about Martin Chemnitz and all of his contributions. And what is such a great blessing of the formula, I think in particular, is that you just can't like go a paragraph without scripture and all these other themes. And I kind of liken it to, um, you know, when you see a, a masterpiece, a piece of artwork from a distance, or you see it on video screen or something, you go, yeah, it looks nice. That's fine. But when you look at it closely, you see the real deal, the original, it's just magnificent. And you start to see the layers of the painting, uh, maybe if it's a sculpture or a piece of woodwork, and you get to see the intricate manner in which this was put together all in such an orderly designed fashion. You see that with kind of in, in different layers. You get the Augsburg Confession and the articles there, which are like, here's our Christian faith from a distance. Well, not from a distance, but it's no, all the details aren't there. And then uh, with Epitome of the Formula, you got a little bit more detail in a solid declaration. You get all the detail and you can see the, just the beauty of God's word reflected here in these articles of faith as you go through the formula. So I'm going to take you through some of this beauty, starting with the Epitome. So this would be the Epitome of the Formula of Concord, Article 2. So it's not 18 anymore. It's Article 2 for the formula. And I'll go through some of this. Concerning free will. The chief question in this dispute, because the human will is found in four dissimilar situations. Number one, before the fall. Number two, after the fall. Number three, after new birth. Number four, after the resurrection of the flesh. Primary question concerns only the human will and capacity in the second situation. It's after the fall. What kind of powers do human beings have after the fall of our first parents before rebirth? It's coming to faith, holy baptism on their own in spiritual matters. Are they able with their own powers before they receive new birth through God's spirit to dispose themselves favorably toward God's grace and to prepare themselves to accept the grace offered by the Holy Spirit and the word and the Holy Sacraments or not? So do they have uh, within their own powers, you see, by their own will, by their own might, to dispose themselves favorably towards God? So in other words, to turn towards God, to lift up their head and say, oh, I think I'm going to choose to, to believe here. And so then it goes through the structure of affirmative thesis and negative thesis. And in brief, here we go. So affirmative thesis, pure teaching concerning this article on the basis of God's word. On this article, it's our teaching, faith, and confession that human reason and understanding are blind in spiritual matters 
and understand nothing on basis of their own efforts, as it is written. Those who are natural do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit, for they are foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them. That sound like a familiar verse? It should. 1 Corinthians 2.14, when they asked about spiritual matters. And then the second point says, we believe, teach, and confess that the unregenerated human, so they haven't come to faith yet, the ungenerated human will is not only turned away from God, but has also become God's enemy, that it has only the desire and will to do evil and whatever is opposed to God as it is written from Genesis 8.21, the inclination of the human heart is evil from the youth. And, you know, you saw that in spades then, after the fall of sin in Noah's time, where the inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. And so it just gets bad. Uh, we got twin two-year-olds at home right now, and it takes a lot for them to do good. It's difficult. They really have to, they, they want to do everything opposite of what we say for their own benefit. And so it's very apparent by looking at any little child to know that the unregenerated human will is an enemy of God. <laughs> um, goes on. Uh, likewise, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. That's Romans 8. And I think we see that in our world today, as especially in the United States, as we're less than 50% affiliated with church. The world is becoming more hostile around us to confess the Christian faith, as it's uh, certainly apparent. Going on, as little as a corpse can make itself alive for bodily, earthly life, so little can people who through sin are spiritually dead raise themselves up to a spiritual life, as it is written. When we were dead through our trespasses, God made us alive together in Christ. Ephesians 2. Therefore, we are not competent of ourselves to claim anything good is coming from us. Our competence is from God. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5. And so from that verse there, from Ephesians 2 5, that as little as a corpse can make itself alive because we were dead in our trespasses. That's kind of where I got the analogy of the roadkill. But God comes to us and he does a whole lot more than just scoop us up and cast us aside. You know, he breathes life into us again and places us back in that position which he has originally placed us and set us in. And that's as his dearly beloved, his created, his sons, his sons through faith in Christ Jesus, heirs with him of all the, of all the glories of heaven. So the deeper you get into the book of Concord, the more the clarity of scripture comes to life. Yeah, I think you're wise to bring in the formula of Concord here because, you know, you might say, well, let's just deal with the Augsburg Confession. That's what we're going through. But as it's an issue, that's something that needs to be confessed and handled within the Augsburg Confession. I make the point that when it gets to the formula of Concord, probably the chief issue, I mean, if good works and, well, really justification, which is always the chief doctrine, but if that's kind of what's at the focus at the time of the Reformation and everything, when we get to the formula of Concord, probably the chief issue that they're trying to address there is the matter of the will. And, and that's a big issue that comes up. So great to bring that in. I think we'll get a little more of that. Uh, we're going to take a break here. But on the other side of the break, we'll pick up a little more of this scriptural teaching, how we confess as Lutherans, Lutheran Christians, what we believe about the free will. And we'll continue doing that with our guests today, Pastor Matt Worm. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, and you're listening to Concord Matters on KFUL. The word of Christ comes forth from his mouth as a sharp, two-edged sword 
by that word, he puts our sin to death and he raises us to new life in him. Join me, Pastor Timothy Apple, on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on KFUO as guest pastors from around the world lead us into the word of God to help us sharpen our faith in Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Welcome back to Concord Matters as we continue taking a look at Article 18 from the Augsburg Confession on Free Will today as we talk with our guest today, Pastor Matt Worm. He's Senior Pastor of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Brookings, South Dakota. And Pastor Worm, just before break there, you had taken us to the formula of Concord. You were looking at the epitome, and uh, we made through a couple of the affirmative statements there. And I just set us up that we're working in the Augsburg Confession. But of course, I think it's, as I said before, break there wise to go to the formula because that's really like the main issue that the formula is seeking to address. Of course, they address a lot of issues as the church always does. We get pulled in so many directions and it's all connected together in one body of doctrine. But I think one of the chief issues that they're addressing there is the matter of this free will and what's being taught in the church at the time. And so go ahead and give us some more there from the formula that helps us understand our more broadly speaking Lutheran confession. Again, the Augsburg confession, just giving us the opportunity to talk about this, but that more broad confession, especially as it cites scripture again and again, as you said, about this matter of the free will. Well, thanks. It's a Good to keep going here. So the way of this set up in the formula or the epitome, which is this abbreviated bit, you get a little bit more in the solid declaration, actually quite a bit more there. Uh, have three affirmative statements, theses. And so here's a third one. However, God, the Holy Spirit does not affect conversion without means, but he uses preaching and the hearing of God's word to accomplish it, as is written in Romans 1 verse 16, where the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Likewise, faith comes from hearing God's word. Romans ten seventeen. faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. It is God's will that people hear his word and not plug their ears. In this word, the Holy Spirit is present and opens hearts that they may, like Lydia and Acts, listen to it and thus be converted solely through the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, who alone accomplishes the conversion of the human being. For apart from his grace, our willing and exerting, planting, sowing, watering, amount to nothing if he doesn't give the growth. It's a quote from Romans 6, or Romans 9, 16, 1 Corinthians 3, 7. It's uh, God who gives the growth. As Christ says, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? That's John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. The man remains in me, it bears much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. With these brief words, he denies the free will, its powers, and ascribes everything God's great so that no one has grounds for boasting before God. All right. So one thing I think some people, and we'll get into this in the negative thesis a, a little bit more, is that people think, well, I, I can go find God in my fishing boat out in the middle of the lake. And God and I can communicate there and my faith will be strengthened as I'm communing with God out in nature or participating, you know, in the, the gifts that God has to give uh, at the basketball court or the ice arena on Sunday morning. And everything is going to be fine because I know that I have God in my heart. And so this teaching on free will, and as scripture expounds upon it here is, well, actually, no, though God is omnipresent, the Holy Spirit doesn't work through your fishing line and through the, the water holding up the boat or whatever it might be. He doesn't, doesn't work through the basketball court. 
he works through the preaching of the word and he works in the places where he says he is to be found. And he works in the manner in which he says he works, which is the water and the word, the bread and the wine, the absolution that your sins are forgiven. And so there's, uh, there's a certain locatedness to this means by which the Holy Spirit works. And the locatedness is in the word. It's in the word that is preached. It's even in the word that is touched, that is felt through the bread and the wine and through the water upon our heads. And so there's this, um, I would kind of say this, this theme as we get in, as we get into the solid declaration a little bit of God, not being distant from us. And so Rome had this, this sort of idea that, oh, the Pope is so great and we're so distant from him and Jesus is so great and we're very distant from him, but his mom's a little bit closer. And so maybe if we can aspire to the mercies and uh, an inquire of Holy Mary, then she would be able to get us in goods with his son. Uh, she's closer to God than us. And you also have kind of these different degrees of, you know, hey, hey, Father, will you pray for me? Because your prayers as a priest are way more valuable and uh, you got higher power, I, I guess, than mine as a simple little peasant out here in the farmland. And it's, I think we get into the solid declaration. It's more of like, well, well, no, the Holy Spirit saves by his word. And if you're saved, you're saved. And if you have life, you have life. You don't have like degrees of life. You know, there's like live or dead. And no matter whatever kind of degree you think you have, it's still life. Whatever amount of faith you think you have, it's still faith. The saving faith is saving faith, period. You don't need a great treasury chest full of it. Faith isn't quantified like that. It's just faith, period. It's not of you. And it's just, it's so comforting, I think, as uh, as you read through that a little bit more. I'm going to get into the negative theses here and kind of breeze through them a little bit quicker. But it starts to bring in some of the heresies of the day as we were talking in the break about the Pelagians and the semi-Pelagians. So the negative theses are are these. So we say, uh, where Lutheran forefathers, we today say, we reject and condemn all these following errors as contrary to the guiding principles of God's work. Uh, the mad inventions of, of the philosophers who are called the Stoics, as well as the Manichaeans, who taught that everything that happens has to happen just so, and could not happen any other way, that people do everything that they do, even in the external things, under coercion, and that they are coerced to do evil works and deeds, such as fornication, robbery, murder, thievery, and the like. So then it's kind of like saying, ah, the devil made me do it. So it's, it's okay. And we'll just, we'll write that one off on him. Well, no, your sin is on you. Your will is bound to sin all the time. And if you're going to choose not to sin, that's not going to come from you. That's going to come from outside of you. And if you're going to have the words come out of your mouth, I believe in Jesus Christ, those words are going to come from outside of you. The Holy Spirit is going to, to give you that. The next error then is the error of the crass Pelagians who taught that human beings could convert themselves to God by their own works, believe the gospel, be obedient to God's law with their whole hearts, and thus merit forgiveness of sins and eternal life out of their own powers, apart from the grace of the Holy Spirit. So this, this really, from Scripture, has it backwards, that man does the getting of God's attention. Man shapes himself up, makes himself godly, makes himself worthy to appear before God's throne room, and then because he's so awesome in and of himself, God's got to say, here's your award. There you go. You get, uh, you get salvation. No, it's not, it doesn't work that way. That's backwards. Holy Spirit works, regenerates us, converts us, makes us alive. So we're awarded faith first off, uh, and then the good works follow. The kind of the irony of that is back in the 
Augsburg Confession article that we're studying for today, 18, is that Augustine in that quote was writing against the Pelagians. And here we are going after the Pelagians again. Yeah, I'm going to jump in there real quick. Uh, so a couple of things, you, you've talked about the works there several times, and that's very much related to this discussion of free will. And again, we see this progression play out within the Augsburg Confession of what they're dealing with, that you have, you know, this article here on free will, the next article, article 19 is on the cause of sin, and then article 20 is on good works, right? And so uh, the irony for me is that in the Augsburg Confession, when you know, the Lutheran confessors cite the Pelagians as what they reject. They reject that teaching. You know, that's what Augustine fought against in his work. And that's why they quote him there. And Augustine obviously would be of the Roman Catholic tradition. You know, he's of the church tradition, really, the true church, faithful teacher. But then, uh, you know, really the Roman Catholics are, have turned around and become Pelagians themselves, maybe semi-Pelagians. But, uh, you know, and so you see that play out here especially we saw this in the article on confession, right? That it's not just confession with the free absolution. It's that you have to, under the Roman Catholic system, you know, make satisfaction for it. It's not just the buying of indulgences and the other things that we commonly think of at the time of the Reformation. It's all these sorts of things that if we say, you know, I have the will to do these things, well, then you don't understand the will. And I like how you brought in there too that, it's through the hearing of the word that resurrects you, that makes you alive. And especially when we think about those who make the excuse, oh, well, I can go off and, you know, I, I'm close to God out in nature or whatever you may have there. Uh, well, no, that's your just bound will in spiritual matters to sin. <laughs> you know? And there's, there's no grace for you in that. There's no making you alive in that. The only way you are made alive is through the word and the word made visible, tangible and real in the sacraments. That alone resurrects you. And so, you know, I think we see there some of those contemporary applications of where this confession of ours on this matter, on this article of free will still matters. So, yeah, I didn't want to derail you or anything there, but just had several thoughts jump up as you were taking us through those things there. So, yeah, go ahead and keep giving us some more of this good stuff here. Sure. You know, when I um, visit with people of, say, a Baptist background and they inquire about infant baptism and why we do that. You know, I think a lot of people understand and believe that Roman Catholic Church, Lutheran Church, other churches that practice infant baptism is that this is your work for God. You know, because that's the Baptist theology is that you're baptized out of obedience. And then they sort of understand like, well, you Catholics and Lutherans baptize infants because you think that just because Jesus says it, like this is, you're meriting it or what have you. And I say, well, no, God is doing all the work, but he, he saves through means. He doesn't just, you know, save sort of indiscriminately or, or without any method to it. He saves through the method of his son, Jesus Christ. He could have saved the world, I suppose, in a far easier way. He could have granted forgiveness of sins in a far easier way than turning his back on his own son and condemning his own son. Uh, so he, he does it through means. And the means of assurance of salvation, forgiveness of sins, he gives to the church is holy baptism, right? And so we talk about that. So this, th there's always this sort of this struggle with people to say, well, and understand what is God's part in salvation and what is my part in, in salvation. And this article fleshes out uh, very well the bound will of man to sin all the time and then God's heart of divine grace and mercy 
seeking after us, coming to us by means of his Holy Spirit uh, through the word and the sacraments to bring us back to him so we might be in common union and communion with him and our loved ones for all eternity. I'm going to keep going on, on some more of these negative theses and uh, keep marching on through. So they reject the semi-Pelagians as well, who teach that human beings can initiate their conversion by means of their own powers. So they flick on the switch, something like that. But can't complete it without the grace of the Holy Spirit. So you do your part, God does his part, which still means salvation is up to you because you don't get saved unless you do your part. So what's Jesus really for? Um, he's just your cooperator. Uh, he helps you cooperate and, and join with it. Some of the others that are condemned are the Arab enthusiasts who think that they can contrive the idea of God and come to him without any means, without hearing the word, without the use of the holy sacraments. I uh, know if God says, this is how I come to you, maybe we should listen to it. Well, I'll roll on here. Um, there's a number of times in here where it speaks about of us cooperating and how that works. And I remember back when I was doing one of my first Bible studies at my fieldwork church and seminary, uh, I, I think I must have been studying this, and I made a mention about how we cooperate with God in our salvation. And there is an elder in that Bible class who said, what do you mean by that vicar, uh, that we cooperate with God, that you got to do your part and, and he does his part. Um, I needed to learn to be more particular and distinct in my phrases in Bible class. That stuck with me ever since. So this is what the epitome has to say in terms of cooperation. It is correct to say that in conversion, God changes Ralkatrant, uh, unwilling people into willing people through the drawing power of the Holy Spirit, and that after this conversion, the reborn human is not idle in the daily exercise of repentance, but cooperates in all the works of the Holy Spirit, which he performs through us. So I kind of liken it to this, you know, maybe with a child. Uh, your, your child is upset, it's mad, uh, is yelling and screaming, throwing a fit, throwing a tantrum. And so the, the parent comes and entreats them to, in my household, it's eat a little bit of food. And once they eat a little bit of food, they're fine. And they're happy to come alongside you and, and do what you're doing because uh, they received this gift from you, from your hand, that they didn't know that they needed. And they were throwing a fit about it. But you, out of your love and mercy and responsibility for this child, give them what they need, this thing that gives energy and life called food. And then they just kind of come along with you and they're happy to pick up their toys and do it, whatever good works would ideally follow after a good meal and a nap as well. But it's not as though it's up to us then to keep that relationship going with God. Uh, you know, like with a parent, that child is always the child of the parent. For us as children of God, we're always children of God. And God forbid that we reject that position, that place of safety, of protection, of honor as his dear children and walk away from his promises and his Holy Spirit because that's just death and that's no good. But with him, there's life and joy for all, for all eternity. And so the Holy Spirit continues to work on us to grant us this conversion from death to life uh, as we continue to walk in the graces of the Holy Spirit. So it goes on to say, this new human will then, this converted will, is an instrument and tool of God the Holy Spirit, in that the will not only accepts grace, but also cooperates with the Holy Spirit in the works that proceed from it. And so the will cannot cooperate prior to conversion. No, can't do good works prior to faith. But once the Holy Spirit comes to you, feeds you, grants you life, then 
hey, you gladly walk with God and follow in his footsteps and, and walk with him and, as it were, cooperate in all the good works that proceed from faith. So that's um, kind of a quick overview of the epitome. And then getting into the solid declaration, it's just chock full of Bible verses all over the place. Quite marvelous. Um, this goes into greater detail concerning the free will and the human powers. It talks about these ancient and modern ravers, which are the shawarmerai. Uh, it's kind of funny that it's translated, at least in my edition, the, the ravers, uh, the ones who yell and scream, protest, if you will. And this is what they taught, that God converts human beings without any created means, tools, that is, through his spirit, apart from the external proclamation and hearing of God's word. And he draws them apart from these means to saving knowledge of Christ. You see this still today. There is, um, you know, this guy from, uh, what church was he? Rob Bell. Was that Mars Hill? Something. He's over there in Michigan. And uh, he kind of was big on the evangelical scene for a little while. And then he ended up with this doctrine that God's love wins. And he wrote a book and I guess it was a bestseller. You know, so God's love is going to overcome and overpower everything apart from his word. I'm like, well, no, that is absolutely not part of the Christian tradition in any respect, except for a heretical Christian tradition. And so these heresies of the past are just repackaged, remarketed by the devil and his workers yet today. So it's good to learn of the history of the past. So it might be wise to, uh, to strain out the heresies of, of the day. Uh, as the, the solid declaration goes on, it talks about man being like a block of stone or, or wood in that it's of it needs to be moved upon. It needs to be acted upon. Um, some more good verses of scripture that grant us good comfort are here as some as it follows. Human reason or natural intellect may still have a dim spark of knowledge that God exists, Romans 1, or of the teaching of the law. Nevertheless, it is ignorant, blind, and perverted, so that even when the most skillful and learned people on earth read or hear the gospel of God's Son and the promise of eternal salvation, they can still not comprehend, grasp, understand, or believe it on the basis of their own powers. They cannot regard it as truth. Instead, the more assiduously and diligently they exert themselves and want to comprehend these spiritual matters with their reason, the less they understand or believe it. They regard all these matters as simply foolish fables until the Holy Spirit enlightens and teaches them. Once again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit, for they are foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. It's Ephesians 4. Other people who have not been reborn through the Spirit of God live in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. In Matthew 13, Jesus says, Seeing they do not perceive, hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. But to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. We continue on with Romans 3. There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. They have all become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness. There is not even one. So in regard to spiritual and divine matters, Scripture labels people by nature calls it darkness, Ephesians 5, Acts 26, John 1. Light shines in the darkness, that is, in the dark, blind world, which does not know or grasp God, and darkness did not comprehend it. Likewise, Scripture teaches that people in sin are not only weak and sick, but completely lifeless, that is, dead. 
Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2. And so we say we are spiritually blind, dead, and enemies of God. And so there's a, a real word of caution here that for any of us who willingly, with our choice, uh, knowing that we have been baptized in the name of Christ, we bear the name of Christ, all glories of heaven are ours, but we choose to continue in whatever sin it might be, that that's super dangerous. Because scripture teaches that people in sin are not only weak and sick, but completely lifeless and dead. And so we're flirting with casting the Holy Spirit away from us. And that's never a good thing. Sin always desires to separate us from God. So a little bit later on, he goes so far as to say that, and expound upon Luther's uh, large catechism, that before we'd come into this community, the community of Christ, the, the church, we were entirely of the devil, knowing nothing of God and of Christ. So it's just spiritually blind and, and dead. But the Holy Spirit does come to us. Talks about it in the small catechism, in the creed. I believe that by my own reason or strength, I cannot believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel and lightning of his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the one true faith. Second petition of the Lord's Prayer. Our Heavenly Father comes to us and he gives us his Holy Spirit that through his grace we believe his word and lead holy lives here. I'm going to keep going on a little bit later on. The Lord in his desire does not want us to stay apart from him, away from him. But as Ezekiel 33 says, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from their ways and live. And then John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And this life, of course, comes through the preaching of the gracious gospel, the forgiveness of sins, and through the mediating of the Holy Spirit. So this faith is ignited, and we receive forgiveness. So in answer to the question of, am I saved, and how can I be sure that I am saved? The answer is, has the Holy Spirit granted you the gift of faith? And for the baptized, those who believe, for the regenerate, the converted, they can say yes with all of their heart. Uh, I think that Luther in his argument with Erasmus and then uh, with our Lutheran reformers as the Book of Concord comes about in 1580, the battle was over the, the truthfulness of God's word to be sure, but it was where does the assurance of faith reside and in whom does the assurance of saving faith reside? In man? in man's works, and popes and councils, or in God and his work alone. And so you see in this, as you study the Book of Concord, the Augsburg Confession, and other writings held in the Book of Concord, this great truth of the, of the assuredness, of the certainty of salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ, by his work and his work alone, shines through. It might be why Luther, you know, spoke so often about being reminded of your baptism. You wake up in the morning, make the sign of the Holy Cross, say the creed and the Lord's Prayer. And if you have the time of the Lord's Prayer, the um, Luther's morning prayer as well, read the Psalms, speak the Psalms. And so you'd have the remembrance of God's name upon you as you make the sign of the cross, as you speak the name of Christ where the devil can't even stand. And so that drives all question of, well, am I saved or not saved? Well, objectively, the Holy Spirit has worked upon you through the water and the word. And that grants full assurance in the face of of all the mess and chaos that our lives are in every day. I just had the privilege and blessing to, to baptize an 86-year-old this past week. Yes, 86 years old. His grandparents were Missouri Synod. Uh, his father 
was Missouri Synod. His mother was Baptist. And so he ended up being raised Baptist. And by the time he got to the age of wanting to be baptized, he wasn't, uh, didn't care too much about the Christian faith, but he clearly expressed the faith. He said he desired baptism. So I baptized him, 86 years old. It was great. And I printed out these wonderful certificates that uh, Wolf Mueller makes. And I gave that to him after I showed him my grandfather's baptismal certificate. And he said to me, he said, well, if anybody asks me if I'm baptized, all I have to do is point to this. And he pointed to Christ in the baptismal certificate. It was Christ on the cross. The whole story of salvation is, is written there in word, beautiful artistic form as well. And we have that here in our dear book of Concord. So to, to wrap things up here, I think these are great and comforting words from a solid declaration. A person who has not been yet converted to God and reborn can hear and read this word externally, for in such external matters as stated above, people have a free will to a certain extent after the fall, so that they may go to church and listen or not listen to the sermon. Through these means, preaching here in the word, God goes about his work and breaks our hearts and draws people so that they recognize their sins and God's wrath through the preaching of the law and feel real, real terror, regret, and sorrow in their hearts. Through the preaching of the Holy Gospel, of the gracious forgiveness of sins in Christ, and through meditating upon it, the spark of faith is ignited in them, and they accept the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake, and receive the comfort of the promise of the Gospel. In this way, the Holy Spirit, who affects all of this, is sent into their hearts. And it is indeed true that both the planting, the watering of the preacher and the activity and desire of the hearer would be in vain, and no conversion would result from these efforts if the power and action of the Holy Spirit were not added to them. For the Spirit enlightens and converts hearts through the word that is proclaimed and heard, so that people believe the word, say yes to it, amen to it. And so the, as water is just plain water and no baptism without the word of God, with the Holy Spirit, with the word of God, it is a baptism, a life-giving water, rich in grace. And so may the Holy Spirit continue to, to be sent out, to be poured out up upon us, not in unknown ways, not in speculative ways, but clearly through the preaching of his word, through the law, through the gospel, clearly and properly through the administration of his sacraments that we might have all assuredness that the forgiveness of sins, the promise of life and salvation is ours, and we can give a hearty amen to that. And may that hearty amen be yours for now and all eternity. Amen. Absolutely. And as you brought out there, this is the important connection that we see within the Augsburg Confession itself, right? We, we've covered in Article 9 and 10 and 11, you know, that debated one of whether or not it's a sacrament on confession. But, you know, baptism, Lord's Supper, confession, these are the gifts where God attaches his word to deliver this to you. And as you brought in the formula there, especially in the solid declaration, highlighted again and again in there is what is our nature? You know, especially when we talk about our will before God, it matters what your nature is and how is your nature changed, but through those gifts where he attaches his word as he delivers that word to you and it's preaching. And it makes this nature that participates with God, it cooperates with God, uh, though weekly, uh, we'll, we'll say uh, we get that language in the uh, formula there as well. We get that image. It's kind of like a, a horse and its rider, you know. But yeah, so this also sets up really nicely then also how we understand repentance and how we live in repentance and good works flow forth from that, as we talked about in Article 12. And then once again, as I already set up for us, 
this is where we're going in the Augsburg Confession that flowing forth from Article 18 here on the free will. Next, we have the cause of sin, and uh, that's connected into this issue as well. And then we get to Article on Good Works once again. How do we do that? But brought into this right relationship with God that produces these good works. And so all of this definitely comes in and connects here together, but it begins with a right understanding of what our relationship to God is, and it's all by His grace. And we thank you, Pastor Matt Worm, for taking us through that today and giving us this teaching of our Lutheran Confession of the Free Will from Article 18, the Augsburg Confession. Next week, we'll look at Article 19 on the cause of sin. But it's been a great pleasure having you join us here today, Pastor Worm. Thank you for the opportunity. And thank you also, dear listener, for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church.